This special Answers for Elders podcast honoring military veterans is sponsored by Carriage. For more information about Carriage, the website is C-A-R-E-A-G-E dot com. This is Chuck Olmsted. We're at Patriots Landing in DuPont, Washington. And with me today is Mary Lou Kanak. And uh, Mary Lou, welcome to this veterans interview for Answers for Elders. Thank you. Well, we interviewed your husband a while back, Carl, and he was in the Army as a service back in uh, the Korean War. Korean War. That's that's right. And so we thought it would be really interesting to not only hear from a veteran, but also to hear from the spouse of a veteran, because there's some really interesting stories that happen from the spouse's perspective. And so uh, we just uh, wanted to spend a little bit of time with you here today. Thank you. Tell me, well, in fact, today is your birthday. My 85th birthday. Yeah, so congratulations. And so where were you born? I was born in a little town in South Prairie, Washington. South Prairie, Washington. Yes. Now, where is that? It's between Buckley and Ording. Okay, so not that far from here, from Patriot's Landing. I mean, just... uh... No, it's, it's really not maybe 70 miles, 60, Mm -hmm. 70 miles. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure. Wow. So 1933. So what was, what was life like back? Was that on a farm or were you in town? Yes, I was born and raised on a farm Uh and the farm is still there. It's still there. Yep. Interesting. uh, What were you farming back then? Lots of hay. Mm -hmm. My dad raised cows, pigs, and we had raspberries, big field of raspberries. I mean, it was a good life. I mean, we, you know, we got the hay down every night, and in them days, the farmers went from farm to farm to help hay mm-hmm. because there was about four big farms around us, and our f- farm is still in South Prairie, and I think one of these days I should go back there just to see it. Well, sure. Do you recall how many acres your dad was farming in those days? No, I don't. It was it was quite a few. Yeah, and, well, uh, yeah. So how many years did you live on the farm? Probably till it was about 12 or something. Mm-hmm. Then we moved. My dad was very sick with ulcers and everything. And so, anyway, we had a small house down a, a block or two from our house on the Southbury Creek. We had a little house, and my sister and her husband lived in it. And they decided to go to Seattle. So when we sold the farm, we moved down there on the creek. Yeah, so you said that you were about 12, so that would have been about 1945, right towards the end of World War Two. Yeah, and but I, I went through the eighth grade at the Southbury School. Uh, freshman to senior year, we had to ride the bus to Buckley mm-hmm. to school. Mm-hmm. And I graduated from Buckley High School. And, so that uh, would have been in the late uh, 40s you graduated from high school. 19, I think, 51. 51. So what happened after that, after graduation? Well, I met Carl when I was 15. Mm-hmm. And we went together a couple of years, so... Then, like I say, I graduated, and he was out of school, and mm-hmm. he was working. 
had a good job, so we decided, well, we're going to get married. And you could and, do that in those days, couldn't you, as a youngster? Yeah. These days, it's, you know, yeah, the, but the finances and the way jobs worked back then, you could really do that. Right. It's it's a lot different today mm-hmm. than back then. We got married, of course, after a couple of years, and I got pregnant, and we start building a house, and Carl was called for the draft, and he was 4F. Well, that's, yeah, that's why we got married, because mm-hmm. he was 4F. He didn't have to go in the service. But then as soon as we got married and start building a house, here comes a letter that he had to go for another physical. And then it was greetings and salutations. Mm. So, And this was back right around the start it, of the yeah. Korean War. Back yeah. in the, around 53 or so, 52? 52, 52 he, yeah. he was in the war, mm-hmm. yeah. So, But we did get our house finished enough so I could live in it. I tried to get little things done while he was gone, and then our daughter, of course, I was pregnant when he left, so our daughter was born. Now, what was that like, being pregnant and your husband's <laughs> over in Korea? That's got to yeah, be tough. It, it, it was it was tough, and... Uh, but things went good. I tried to send him pictures of her and everything. I, I knew the situation was tough where he was at. One day I get this letter, and he asked me, he says, can you go to the gunsmith shop? He says, I do not have a cleaning rod for my machine gun. And so I went to Stoners in Puyallup, and he knew this fellow, Lyle, that worked in the gun shop, and I, I I read him the part, Carl says he needs a cleaning rod, but it has to be broke down before I can ship it in the mail, because he says, if I can't keep them two machine guns clean, they're not going to fire. Mm-hmm. So, of course, that upset me. But anyway, this Lyle made him, right away he got on it, and made him a cleaning rod, and it broke down into six-inch sections and put it in a nice little canvas bag with a snap on it, and I got it off to him. Hmm. And that, he, he always said, if he had that didn't have that cleaning rod, he never came home. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah. anyway. I'm sure that that was tough to have to deliver that to him. I mean, I know he needed it. But still, just to understand that, you know. Yeah, it was tough. And, you know, to see how he had to live and how cold it was and everything, it was tough on me. Yeah. And because, you know, uh, and it sometimes it still is. I mean, we had to go to an interview, and I don't know why, out at Fort uh, Lakewood one day. It was something to do with the service. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went in this room and they had uh, GIs and their wives and they had Carl and I. And the first thing we had a the, the lady put us in there and we had to see his film and then she was going to talk to us afterwards. Well the film just came on and here's all these GIs with full backpacks and everything. Carl just took off, left me sitting there, and I'm looking at this movie, Hmm. and I'm sitting there crying. 
And I thought, oh, my gosh, why did he leave me here? You know, mm -hmm. I, I can't watch his movie. But anyway, here this lady come and got me, and one fellow's across the way, and he's, my gosh, he's got PSTD. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what PSTD was, mm -hmm. but anyway, here I'm crying, and the lady did come and get me. And she says, oh, my God, you got PSD too. And I said, well, the war was very tough, you know, for me, home with the baby, and I knew he was on the front lines, you know. And uh, But anyway, she, she took me out of the room, and we went and sat in the office and talked to her. And she said, Carl, if you ever need help, I'll be here to help you. Hmm. And, and of course, we got to leave, and uh, like I say, it was quite a few years ago. I don't have a memory of what it was. It was something right. to do with the, the service. Yeah, and, well, they might have been trying to do some sort of an evaluation of, you know, even though it's interesting, uh, uh, Mary Lou, as you're talking about this, that, that that would have been 50 years, but you were still dealing maybe not even knowing it, still dealing with all those memories back there of how tough it was. And it's just something, it never goes away. And it was so long, he didn't he didn't talk about the war or anything. But, you know, I just, I knew it was tough. And I, I knew he was, you know, he, he was in the hospital for a while, medevac. But I never knew why, mm -hmm. and I don't think I know to this day why. An odd little thing, we were on a cruise, and we were all at breakfast one morning. There were six of us, and there was an Oriental couple. And he looked over at Carl, and he said, Carl, you ever been to Tokyo? Carl says, yeah. I was medevac to the 1010 hospital there on Ginza Street. And he looked at Carl and he says, well, you know, I'm a doctor and I was serving my internship there hmm. at the same time you were in that hospital. Interesting. Now, wasn't that a coincidence? Oh my, oh my. <laughs> All those years ago. As I, as I hear you talk about uh, writing letters and sending pictures of the baby, I think we forget how communication was back then as far as letters and, and pictures. We're so used now for emails and looking at pictures on our cell phones and all that sort of thing to recognize that in those days, did, when he was in Korea, did he ever was he ever able to make a phone call to you? No. No, never a phone call. So no, you never, never got to hear his voice. Nope. You only got letters and pictures. That's right. Yeah. Letters and a few pictures. Yeah. And, and how many months was he gone? Uh, two years. Two years. Yeah, two years, yeah. yeah. And then after the war was over, he still had to stay and train the new troops that were coming in. And I think he was there, like, for two more months. But I can remember the letter that came that said, I'm coming home. Hmm. I mean, it was the happiest day of my life. Yeah, of course. So. Yeah. And you had really been married how long before he had to leave for the war? We must have been married about eight months or so. Mm -hmm. It wasn't too long. I mean, like I say, we just 
got married and right away started building a house. Part right. of the foundation was in, so we had to use that. What happened, his boss said, Carl, if you will fence five acres for me, I'll give you that lot. Hmm. And so my mom and dad helped cut the cedar fence posts, and we fenced that five acres to get that lot, which mm-hmm. was a big start for us to get a free lot with part of a foundation in. Sure, sure. And then we just use that same blueprint to build a house. Yeah. And Let's fast forward a little bit. When Carl came back from the war, so then did he stay in the service or did he retire no, from the service? He, no, he just he had to stay in the reserves so many years. Mm-hmm. But he was probably home two days and we got a knock on our door, and they wanted him to come back to work already. He was a carpenter. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, we were back, and it was tough. We weren't even adjusted or anything to living, and, of course, our little Debbie, you know, she didn't like that stranger in the house with right. her and her mother. Because <laughs> that's the first time that he had seen his his, babe, his yep. baby, his daughter. Yep. We were at the airport when he came home, and boy, he she just, you can't get close to my mama, uh-huh. you know. <laughs> uh-huh. She was 14 months old. And sure. It, it, uh, yeah, it, it was quite an adjustment, you know, him living with a bunch of GIs and just her and I home most of the time together. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, at the, in those days, were there any kind of support groups for women who who had uh, husbands in the military or who were fighting in the war? No, yeah, nothing. Not just yeah, not like there is now. No, yeah, things have changed. I can remember I was little, but I can remember you know the it had to be the depression because like we had a farm and like say. We had food, and we had a big garden, and we had uh, lots of chickens, and so we never went hungry. But a lot of people in this little town of South Prairie were hungry, and my mom and dad would fix a basket with homemade bread and sausage and eggs Mm. so they had stuff to eat because some people were so hungry and didn't have food. Mm -hmm. you know, living on a farm, we had the milk, we had the eggs, and my dad butchered and made all kinds of different sausages in them days. I mean, it's it's different than today. Yeah. Kids just don't have all that experience, and we learned to work. We all had, you know, little chores we had to do. Mm-hmm. And so and, really, having the farm, it was neighbors helping neighbors during those right. depression years, wasn't you it? There, there wasn't they There always, wasn't government subsidies out in the out there. No, we all, like I say, you know, when haying come, it was from one farm to the other. And, mm-hmm. uh, so then after, after Carl came back, then I understand that you moved to Alaska. Is that correct? Yes. How many we, years in Alaska? We spent 30 years in Alaska. Where in Alaska were you? Our first job was in the new town of Valdez. You know, the earthquake mm-hmm. and tidal wave had just taken everything. There was probably three little buildings in the old town. The tide would come in so close sometimes to the little store that was left. They would row up to the front door in the boat. 
So anyway, they built a new town five miles around the harbor. And so that was Carl's first job up there. And it <laughs> it was rough living. And uh, we made good money and got a good start in life. And then from there, we just happened to get, he got other jobs. And we just, we were around all over in Alaska. We were in Ketchikan, Fairbanks. He was on the island of Angoon and built a gymnasium. And like Fairbanks, it was malls, doctor's offices, grocery stores. I worked most of the time because our daughter Debbie had gone to work for Senator Ziegler because she was like 20-some years old and she had lots of experience working for attorneys while she was in high school. Our son was still had, I think, his senior year, and so he graduated in Ketchikan. And we just we just seemed to migrate all over with yeah. jobs, Fairbanks, and our last ten years was in Fairbanks. Yeah. So then, how did you come down here to Patriots Landing? What brought you here? Well, Carl has asbestosis and diabetes and whatnot, and we had a nice place in old in Lacey, mm-hmm. but it, his health is deteriorating. He and I think both look good on the surface, but we decided Patriots Landing was for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got the swimming pool, we got the hot tub, and most places don't have all them goodies. Yeah. So we decided we're going to come to Patriots and I mean, we enjoy it because it's just like home. Our daughter gets all upset sometimes because we aren't closer to them. But like I tell her, she's got her family and everything there, and it's no big deal. They taught me to run one of these iPads so I get pictures of the great-grandkids and everything. No, and life is good here. I mean, we're like one big family. Mary Lou, I'm I'm certainly glad you shared your story. You have you've had an interesting life of eighty five years. <laughs> Very interesting, mm-hmm. yes. Some... And it's been a good life, mm-hmm. you know. It's just I, I I remember the good things on the farm. I remember how close my dad was with me, and he always called me Jim. And to this day, Carl calls me Jim because my dad. <laughs> Just wanted a boy, and he just had two girls. Uh-huh. So, and of course, I was a baby in the family. We were just buddy buddies. Well, thank you for sharing with us today, and I appreciate your sacrifice during the war, during the Korean War, because it was a sacrifice for our country, and I appreciate it so much. And thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you. This has been a special Honoring Veterans presentation of Answers for Elders. Brought to you by Carriage. For more information about Carriage, the website is C-A-R-E-A-G-E dot com. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. 
To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.